Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I am honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air and online and on our podcast feed, a 24-7, it's, there's, well, there's always something up there on both feeds, and those feeds are both available at our uh, webpage. That's at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. When you get there, you can choose to listen to what you're listening to right now as either a radio loop, which essentially is uh, the equivalent, the, the, uh, uh, the digital equivalent. You hit the link, and it's as if you just flicked on the dial of your radio in the car, at home, wherever you happen to be, and pick up the show at whatever point it's running in the loop, a, a kind of a radio-ish loop, we like to call it. And you can listen in that way, get a flavor for what's going on, stick, stick around, stay till the end, sort of like at a Saturday kitty matinee, uh, and wait for the next show to begin, which usually happens in about two or three seconds. Pick it up from where you, uh, pick it up until the point where you jumped in. If you want to do it that way, some people like it, and we get a lot of good response to that. But of course, every show that we have up on our radio loop is also up on our podcast feed. That, too, is a link uh, that's available at www.centerlefttalkradio.com. So choose to come and join us either way. You obviously have made that choice. You're listening to us right now. Uh, we, we, I, this is one of those times... This is, I have to step back a little bit here. Uh, We've been doing a lot of shows of late about uh, problems. Uh, this is, uh, <laughs> we, we, live, we live in interesting, problematic times. Uh, probably the, the central focus of, of issues, if you will, uh, issue-type shows, came about two weeks ago when we did a show um, we did a Noble Hearts Forum, one of the forum shows that we've done. I think we've done about four of them already. This was, I think this was the fourth. A uh, bunch of uh, guys that I went to high school with, really smart guys, from, from Regis High School in New York decades ago, all have gone on to uh, stellar careers. This particular group was largely academics, and uh, we were discussing the nature of uh, Russia uh, in light of the uh, Russian-Ukrainian situation, but largely it turned into an historical discussion of American perspectives, American reactions to Russia, and the, uh, the, the, the good and the bad of it, the, the problematic and the helpful of it, largely resulting in a general opinion from our, from our panel that America tends to get its nose into things that it really shouldn't bother getting its nose into and often finds itself uh, stuck and, and, and having difficulty extricating itself. And that has been the source of a lot of problems. That, that was largely 
the perspective that came out of that show. And it was, it was footnoted uh, extensively by the panelists. There was one particular reaction uh, or one, one, um, one alternate uh, perception offered by, I believe it was Dr. Webble, Charles Webble gave this perception that, well, okay, let's, let's, you know, everything historical that's been said about America kind of overreacting to Russia is quite true. But what if, he posed, what if Russia actually goes ahead and decides that it is going to attack Ukraine? What would actually happen? Where would that leave the situation? Would we then be talking about what we missed? Why we didn't see things coming sooner? What the problems are that come with America not recognizing what it should do in a preemptive or preemptory way or do better in an anticipatory way when signs are all over the place and we just don't bother reading them. And so far as I remember, there, there wasn't a, a huge discussion. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole parallel uh, discussion, uh, examination of America's failure to read uh, signs presented to it by otherwise perceived, uh, uh, if not enemies, people who would not wish it particularly well. Let's call them rivals at best. And, and, it's, and what has happened as a result of not reading all that. D Dr. Webel did, a, did, I thought, a, a, rather, a rather good job of, of positing uh, that uh, maybe this isn't going to wind up being just another talk. And he started talking about the reassembling of uh, Soviet states, of going into the Balkans. What, what if this is Russia's uh, attempt to get out there and uh, basically say, hey, this is the moment at which we really would like to start thinking about, or we really want to start to, or we think America is weak enough to basically leave us alone while we go past what we did in Crimea in 2014. We basically walked in and took the place. And uh, we might do the same with Ukraine. There's this, this huge state on our western flank, which is midway between us and Eastern Europe, which is thoroughly NATOized, well, much of it NATOized, certainly Poland being the major uh, force there. Uh, Czech is right down there also. Uh, Romania, down in that area as well. But between, uh, between Russia and then Belarus, wrapping around the northeast corridor and the, and the northern flank of Ukraine, uh, sure, uh, Belarus, of course, is, is completely reunited with us, as it were, has a totally Russo-favoring uh, you know, government. Let's see what we can do. And, and Charles basically took it step by step. Not, not too many steps, and we didn't stay on this for very long. But he said, imagine that this really goes in the other direction. That we, you know, I, again, everything up to that point, historically, American overreaction was, in hindsight, rather relatively 
and rationally easy to uh, express that we had done things in the course of the Cold War, that we had gone into, uh, and, and, and then there were parallels about America going out and, and getting involved in other countries' affairs and, and putting governments in. And all of this was seen in a relatively negative way by the panel. And again, the case, the case was made wonderfully, but it was sort of then analogized into our current attitudes towards Russia, not even, not just analogize, that's not fair. It was, it was backed into uh, a, a, a chronic sense of overreaction about Russia. And the conclusion largely was, this is Russia's situation. Ukraine and Russia, it's all about them. It's all about a mostly uh, favorable to Russia group of people within Ukraine. We've basically helped them remove an otherwise unfavorable to us government. We now have Zelensky, who's kind of puppetish, but not really. I mean, he, he was a former comedian, and there are strong elements within Ukraine who are still oriented towards Russia. It's none of our concern. This is a local thing. That was two weeks ago. And I remember saying during the, um, the start of the show that this would serve as a snapshot a moment in time looking back to say, here's where we were on whatever the date was in early February when the, when the show went up on air. It was, it was either very, very late January, early February, today being the 15th of February, uh, but when we put the show up. Now, now, since we did that show, Russia has continued to amass forces on the border and every indication that, it, as it does this, of course, it continues to say, but we're not going to invade. And it, it's forced the question, if you're not going to invade, why are you amassing forces on the border? And there are any number of answers. The, the simple answer is you're lying, you're going to invade. Now, if that is the case, and if that's what you interpret Russia to be doing, then it behooves everybody in that region, beginning, of course, with the Ukrainians, to basically decide, what are you going to do if these guys come across the border? It, it behooves America to say and decide, well, if they do go across the border, what is it to us? If you followed the thought process from, if you just simply use the historical and ethical uh, input of the show we did two weeks ago, I think you would have been, two weeks ago, reasonable in, in concluding that America really didn't have a role in this. But Russia keeps building up troop strength and more and more of it on the Belarus side of things, which takes it over northern, takes it right over the northern flank and very close to Kiev, the, the capital. Um, what Mr. Biden has done, again, 
if we were looking at this from a two week ago perspective, was uh, I suppose our panel might have said it was an overreaction. And again, and again, our panel was largely talking from an historical uh, American perspective and America within the world, extrapolating outward, coming back down to the current Russian situation, looking at other historical overreactions. Fine, correct, perfect. But Russia has continued to build up troop strength. Biden counters by sending troops into Poland. And then he does something more, and I don't recall if this was already in play when we did this show. He begins releasing classified information showing exactly how the Russians are creating a pretense for going to war. He's, he, he releases information about a video that the Russians are planning to release on Facebook or, or other social media sources that would essentially show, and it's it was false, it was, a, it was a false video, it was fake, that shows Ukrainians attacking Russians uh, within Ukraine and mothers crying because their sons have been murdered. By, a perfect pretense, as it were, for crossing in. He basically begins showing uh, other, uh, he begins revealing specific troop movements that the Russians are making and, and the calculations behind. In essence, he is releasing what would otherwise be classified data. It's something that you never, ever would envision happening. But he's, he's giving you, he has been giving Americans the thinking as close as you know we can get, but as much of the thinking behind that Putin and his al and his people uh, in the Kremlin are are putting together how they're constructing the rationale for going to war, if in fact they're going to do it, you just don't see that. As 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 a, as a rule, this is this is more in the Trump realm of things, where classified information is treated casually and and just sort of thrown about whenever it benefits Donald. But here, there's a very specific rationale in doing this. Biden wants to show the world what Putin is doing and thinking. In the process of doing this, a very odd thing begins to happen. The Germans, who had been totally dragging their feet about getting involved in any kind of a uh, arming or assistance to Ukraine, and who were apparently totally committed to not to being neutral in the entire thing because of this gas pipeline that Russia is building, which would supply them and a number of other Eastern European countries with gas. Russian gas, the Germans suddenly change their tune. The German ambassador, the, the, no, I'm sorry, not the ambassador, the, the new German chancellor, I can't think of his name offhand, I'm, I'm so attuned to saying Angela Merkel, but, but the new chancellor shows up in Washington, there's a joint press conference, and I would dare anyone to find a sliver of daylight between the United States position 
and the German position, which comes down to if the Russians put a toe in Ukraine, that pipeline stops and it may never, ever start again, period. And the German and the German <laughs> chancellor parrots this perfectly. Once Germany is on board, the rest of NATO comes on board. And there winds up being this unification of NATO forces that I don't think anyone really anticipated. It would appear that Mr. Putin may not have anticipated this either. France is on board. France is going back and forth trying to do the negotiation thing. And everybody is playing a role. There are no loud voices in NATO saying how the United States is taking over and being over-aggressive here, and it's none of your business, and let's everybody just go away and stop talking about this whole thing. Let's not make it happen. You might be hearing that from Zelensky, the guy in charge in, 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 in Ukraine, and largely you're hearing it from him because he doesn't want to panic his population. Makes sense. But, but Putin continues to build up troops with, under the pretense that, we, that, that Zelensky is about to become a member of, of, of NATO and we don't want someone on, any more than you want us on your doorstep, we don't want you on ours. We don't, well, the reality, of course, being that NATO membership for Ukraine is a hell of a long way off. Everybody knows that, including Putin, the United States, and current NATO. Everyone knows that. So that's a false flag. And it leaves a question. What is Mr. Putin really doing? And the conclusion that I, I can't help come to, a, just a simple conclusion. He is pushing the envelope as far as he can to see where all the pieces fall into place these days. This is a trial balloon. Why he's doing it now, I think, is because he senses that there may have been weakness in the Biden administration. This would be the moment, somehow, I mean, I'm just going by what I'm seeing, but this is in Putin's mind. Now, this is whether whatever you think of the American reaction to this should or shouldn't be. But this is Putin's thinking. I have to find out how the map of Western Europe and Eastern Europe on my, my doorstep and my affiliate uh, uh, Belarus's doorstep, how things stand. What reactions am I going to get how how do how do i how am i positioned strategically is there an alliance here do i have to be concerned with nato how far can i push this envelope what kind of reactions am i getting are they strong are they weak and while i'm doing this I basically let them see me kind of cozying up with the Chinese president for life. I go to the Olympics and I, and I sit there and I have photographs taken with, with, the, with the president of China and I make sure that the world gets this sense that there is that affiliation. And this works, of course, for the Chinese as well because they have a Taiwanese situation and, and it might be interesting for them 
to sort of determine what U.S. resolve looks like. The U.S. is what's standing pretty much between the Chinese and taking over Taiwan, has been for quite some time. How strong is the U.S.? What kind of, what is the political blowback at home doing to the ability of the Biden administration to basically assert itself when necessary on an international stage is has it been weakened to the point domestically by the by the by the dumbass politics that have overtaken the internal american uh, political landscape that it really can't respond internationally in any reasonable way let's I mean, are we going to attack tomorrow says uh, says uh, you know xi and 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 uh, and, and, and Putin? Well, probably not, but, but, but let's find out. Well, they're finding out. Putin now knows, and I think the world knows, in a way that I don't think anyone anticipated, that if there is an incursion, a Russian incursion, into Ukraine from any point on the border there will be immediate reaction. Now, if, 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 if Biden and the EU and NATO does not react, that will be another story. But you see, Putin will have had to have crossed the border to do that. Or he will have had to have, have, have done something surrogate-ish to make it happen. Uh, for that Part of that is, of course, holding exercises, military uh, naval exercises in the Black Sea, announcing that he's virtually shutting off all lanes, most of them shipping lanes to be used by Ukraine, in a Black Sea military series of exercises that are happening right now. And it's, it's, it's provocation to the nth degree. Seeing how far he can go. Raising the question going back two weeks ago, can the United States not react to this? Are the stakes simply ethical and moral and we can, we can completely ignore the political, the geopolitical and the military potential that is involved in the Russian posturing? Can we do it without having to get militarily involved? Is sending troops to Poland, 5,000, 8,000, whatever the number is, that, that being the extent of, the, of our personal commitment militarily, of course, military supplies to Ukraine in, in, to the tune of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, how many hundreds of millions of dollars. That was the whole business of the first impeachment on Trump, refused to give them until Zelensky said that he would cook up information on Biden and his son. But that, those, though, that's been given, that there has been a training uh, through surrogate uh, elements in the use of those weapons for the Ukrainians, how, how much of this, at what point does this constitute a, a continuation of dumbass American involvement, uh, sticking our noses where we don't belong, or are we doing 
what we have no choice but to do. Maybe if we, if we had our druthers, we would take a perfectly ethical and, and uh, moral uh, approach to this and say it has nothing to do with this. War is bad. Peace is better. This belongs to NATO and the Europeans. We could imagine that this really would have no longer-term impact on us. That, that Putin doing this and basically challenging NATO, well, NATO was only there for the Soviet Union. This isn't the Soviet Union. But it's Russia acting in the guise of the Soviet Union. It's Russia basically saying, well, I mean, do, do, would you rather, call, if you don't, is it the Soviet Union by any other name? No, it's not all the, the power and the force and the might. But it's an effort to reassert the, the image, the thought process, to inject this into the world mindset that we're out there. Could it, could it, could it go badly for America if we ignored this? Well, if we, if we ignore Russia completely, where does that leave us vis-a-vis -vis China? And again, we can, we can have this same argument. Let Taiwan go. What business is Taiwan of ours? And, and, and the only, I, I suppose the only answer to all of that is World War II. I, I know that sounds a little crazy. I mean, that's, that may sound a bit anachronistic, but I, I have this image, and I'm not going to trace the full historical pathways back and, and, and draw analogies. I, I have this image of Neville Chamberlain. I've seen the footage I can't tell you how many times. He's just returned from the Munich Pact or the, the Munich Conference. And, and, he's, and he's arrived in an airport in London, and he has a, a rather thin document in his hand. I have in my hand, he says, in, in, British, uh, uh, in, in British diplomatic uh, uh, tones, I have in my hand a letter from, Mr., from, Mr., from, from Chancellor Hitler that he will never attack I think, was it not attack England, not attack... It was a total, a total lie. And we all know where history went afterwards. Now, when England was attacked in World War II, we didn't have to go in. We had already been... Well, we, we were then attacked in, in 19... Uh, uh, Europe was being torn apart in late from 38 on. Uh, Sudetenland, Poland, and, and across, and then Russia. And of course, the goal was always to get England out of the picture. That was Hitler's great, one of his great aims. Largely, his, big, his biggest aim, I think, was to, to subdue Russia. Uh, but there are all these problems about getting to England. And we could have taken the approach, well, we'll we're just going to deal with what we're doing in the Pacific. We've been attacked at Pearl Harbor. Yeah, we have to do something about this. Or we can imagine that, well, you know, swallow it. They'll never really come into San Francisco Harbor, will they? Or, well, you know, what does this have to do with, with, with Europe? Why would we get involved? And, and many people said this. But in light of the history of World War II, in light of how the world has developed since, in light of the fear and the, and, and, and the, and the misinformation and the 
the mental illness, the fascistic tendencies that were present in the world back in the late 30s and early 40s. And looking back at how everything kind of worked out in the end. I'd like to hear an argument that we should have never gotten into the European war. That we didn't need to, that it was a waste of time. That things could have worked out just fine if we didn't. That allowing Germany to basically take over Europe would have worked perfectly. That we were sticking our nose where we didn't belong. And then I'd like to hear the argument saying, uh, Rich, that's the wrong analogy. You shouldn't even be talking about that. I think, my opinion, and I'm by no means a, uh, a full-blown historian of, of any consequence, but I've lived and I've watched. My opinion is that the Biden administration, Joe Biden, has done something that no one really expected least of all Vladimir Putin. And he's done it incredibly well, with great effect and wisely and to the greater benefit of the United States. He has essentially drawn a real live line without having to fire a shot. He has laid down exactly what he's laid his cards on the table. He's laid Putin's cards on the table as much as he can, revealing classified information coming into American sources. And he said, here's exactly where you stand, and now you know where we stand. Your move, buddy. It's a huge game of chicken. No shots being fired, not, not by Americans. Troops in Poland, well, we've had, we've had troops in, in NATO countries forever. We, this, is how we, this is how we roll in NATO. This happens. And Mr. Putin is finding out just how, just where the line is, how, how things will shake out, how, how alliances will congeal, and how quickly in the event that he pushes things to the limit. I don't I get the sense that he didn't anticipate it going this way. I get the sense that he was expecting NATO to be a little more flimsy, uh, uh, thinking on, on, the, on the Trumpian years and how Trump was demeaning and busting up NATO and saying it was nothing and useless, and, and all of the arguments you hear on the right and many on the left that NATO has no business existing. Its only reason for existing was to, to defend against and to defeat the Soviet Union, and it did, goddammit. It should bust up and shouldn't be there. What would we, how would we be dealing with things right now if there were no NATO? What would be the rationale for projection of force, of American projection of force, because we have been at an historical conflict with Russia? What, what would the European projection of force look like right now? Would it have any meaning whatsoever? Would the Europeans, would there be a, another leader within Europe that could basically 
that, that others could congeal around, that, that there would be a marshalling of forces with an eye to a particular leader other than the United States that could basically bring the feeling of force to the doorstep of Ukraine, not to Russia, of an independent state called Ukraine, and cause Mr. Putin to stop and think. At least that's how it appears right now. I, I, again, I can, I, can hear, I can hear the argument. It's none of our business. But neither was England our, any of our business really during uh, the, the, the early days of the Western campaign in World War II. I mean, we had affiliations, we had treaties. I don't think we had as many affiliations and treaties as we even have right now under NATO. I'm not sure what the legalistic framework was for us going in and defending Western Europe. But had we not, and by then you already had a Hitler who was doing his damage. Well, you've had Crimea being taken over, and there's another little section there in southeast Ukraine that's already been taken over by the Russians. And you've had this perception that Joe Biden is weak. And that reprojection of Joe Biden, I guarantee you, will have repercussions, will resonate back into his political capabilities at home in other areas. It will have an impact on how things play out going forward in purely domestic politics. The thing that we become so completely taken with in this country to the, to the exclusion, to the exception of even thinking about all too often our role in the world. Sort of an offshoot of the whole Trumpian way of doing things. An odd thing that's happened that's sort of brought together uh, a number of, 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 of very liberal minds and very conservative minds together. This, this, uh, this isolationist kind of a notion, you know, the, the, uh, the moral and ethical imperatives that are fulfilled through an isolationist uh, approach to things has really created some strange bedfellows. And I, and I don't think it's necessarily for the best, or it's not a realistic approach to how things need to happen in the world. Speaking historically, yes. And speaking purely morally and ethically, yes. America has made some massive mistakes in the way in which it has approached um, the world generally and projected its power and, and how it's tried to, uh, it's, 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 it's efforts towards hegemony and, and how basically it has used its strength uh, in, in corporate and, and pecuniary ways in order to just enrich itself and enrich the richest of itself. Yes, huge mistakes have been made. But I don't know that you can or that we should be looking through that lens and only that lens in examining what Mr. Putin is doing right now and the potential consequences of our actions or inactions in light of that.
how the world will perceive us. We had this weird time with Donald, but it was a time when Russia was not, uh, well, in 14, they'd gone into uh, Crimea. But largely, uh, you know, Vladimir was fun and friends with Donald. Why? Well, because Donald depends on Vladimir for a lot of things, like money for his businesses. That's a whole other story. We can get in, into, in, into Donald's accounting firm uh, of uh, suddenly saying that the last 10 years of our statements, please don't bother looking at them. We found major discrepancies. We quit. We're quitting Donald and, and the Trump, and the Trump uh, organization. We are no longer your accountants. Anyone who has relied on anything that we've written, which was based on information that we took in from Donald and, and co, over the last 10 years, well, un, un, undo your reliance, please. And, and please don't blame us. This is a, another weird situation. But, but that was the atmosphere that basically was giving rise to how we dealt with Russia. I think what Mr. Biden has done is smart in the best interest of the United States. He's been called out by Vladimir Putin. You can, you can call Joe Biden on any number of things. You can say he hasn't been strong enough against the crazies at home. He hasn't what he hasn't accomplished in one year of his presidency, he's, he's, geez, he didn't get, he didn't get the civil rights, he didn't get the, the, uh, the 65 Voting Act uh, redone, uh, he didn't get any version of the John Lewis voting rights. Uh, how, how come he couldn't get Mansion and Cinema uh, to come on board? All of that is true. He hasn't been able to do that because, well, we know what he hasn't been able to do. We know that Mansion and Cinema have basically blocked a good portion of his domestic program. He's gotten some other really good stuff going with uh, uh, the, uh, the, the infrastructure bill that was passed. But a lot of it remains undone. And there is still a COVID situation, and there are still changes week by week in, in, the, in, the, in the nature of it, and there are mixed messages that are coming out of CDC, and there are those who would refer to them as being nefarious, and, and, and there's an evil involved here, and, and I don't have to, therefore, I don't have to wear a mask, and all these other stupid things that basically seem to capture our attention. Because, frankly, there hasn't been a major international issue that has really risen to the level of capturing our attention. Under Donald, he was basically currying favor. He was having love letters back and forth with Kim Jong-un. What a load of crap. What a, what a self-deluding thing. And, remember, Vladimir owns him. We don't... Well, I'm just going by what his kids have said. Yeah, yeah, all of our loans were out from Russia. Everything's from Russia. Now that his accounting firm has basically said bye-bye, uh, I think it wouldn't be unreasonable to assume that many American banks, even in anticipation of any kind of a uh, criminal indictments that may be coming down, bigger ones against Trump and his organization, may want to consider raising interest rates, at least on him, on the loans that he has out, because... 
uh, well, we can't count on the last 10 years of information, of filings, of tax filings based on all this. I mean, think about that. That's what's occupied our minds. We live in a not-so-nice world, and Joe Biden just showed us how to live with honor and rationale and with restraint and with a show of force facing down people who would otherwise wish to do us harm. Oh, no, Vladimir doesn't wish to do us harm. You can believe that if you like. Everyone is welcome to believe whatever the hell they want. Call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, no, Biden shouldn't have gotten involved in this. Two weeks since we talked about this, and the buildup of troops keeps going and going. And Biden keeps putting out the information and saying, here's what they're doing, folks. I'm declassifying information. And Vladimir keeps finding himself building up troops, but without a real justification for going across the border. It's not really there. This whole NATO thing and joining, uh, joining NATO. No, everybody knows better than that. That's because it's been a, a, an amazing information campaign being put out saying what it would take for, you know, how much work it would take or how long it would take for, uh, for Ukraine to come into NATO and the odds are very slim that it would. It's been beautifully, beautifully orchestrated in a way that I, I have not seen anything else orchestrated by the Biden administration. It, they, it is shining. Joe is shining in the area of foreign affairs. And that was always, by the way, his forte. Now, we're going to be doing another Noble Hearts Forum on China. It's going to be recorded this Sunday. And it will be up on air probably on Monday morning. And I ex and once again, we are going to have a native Chinese person there as part of the panel. We're going to have several of the people we had before. We will have uh, in this Noble Hearts panel uh, one of our classmates who holds a chair, a professorship in China. Uh, and has been uh, widely recognized as a, as a media expert. This is a, Dr. Vinny Mosco. Played basketball with him back in school. Um, these are people, again, who really know what's going on. And I am fascinated and, and, and just anticipating what this discussion will be like. My job, as you know is to basically moderate their discussion. My job is not to interject my opinions. In these, in these forums, they're the panel. They've been chosen to say what they believe. And what they say and how they document it is impeccable. And that's why this is out there. And this is the beauty of the type of discussions that we can have here on Center Left Radio. There's room for all sorts of perceptions, 
provided, provided they are not based in a gross antipathy towards someone else or some other position, provided they are based in fact, provided they are based in a desire for all of us to be better and do better as a result. This is not, this is not I win, you lose. This is not a zero-sum discussion. It's getting thoughts and ideas, well-supported thoughts and ideas out there and allowing people to discuss them freely without someone pointing and beginning name-calling. That is at the heart of everything that we've done in center-left radio and at the heart of what we're doing with Noble Hearts Forums. And I am thrilled to be able to bring the next one to you. It will be on air next Monday morning. Please, please keep your eye out. We'll be, we'll be, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll basically have something more to say about it on the Friday show. I'll let you know that it's coming up. I will reconfirm that it's going to be on air on Monday. I don't believe there'll be any changes to it. I think we're pretty well locked in for the recording date this Sunday. It'll be on air on Monday. You will not want to miss this panel. The response we had to our Russo-Ukrainian panel was phenomenal. More downloads than we have ever had on any show with center-left radio, these, these Noble Hearts forums. And I have no doubt that this will be the same case on the Chinese, uh, the Chinese show that we'll be doing with an with a eminently qualified panel once again. Thoughtful, introspective, uh, well-versed, totally footnoted in everything that will be said, and morally and ethically grounded. Well worth listening to. Very different kinds of discussions. We, we, we call center-left radio the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. I, 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 I am always looking for elements of hope, when, when I have felt the most um, uh, challenged by the state of American affairs and world affairs, I find, I found as I've been doing this show, when I've been, when I've been saying it out loud, not just holding this inside of me, the thing that I can always count on to give me the most immediate rush of hope, the thing that, not, not, not that it, it overflows me, but that I can go towards, the thing that allows me to leave a sense of fear and move towards hope. Hope, by the way, is not just something that gets dropped on you. Theologies, notwithstanding, hope is something we must actively seek. That the mechanisms may be expressed theologically as a, 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 a gift of God or a gift of however, whatever component of God uh, some, some theological system basically wants to tell us hope is. But the act of becoming hopeful, the human process of feeling and living through and acting out hope is a very active one. It must be sought. I think anyone looking at this in their own lives will recognize that, that you just don't become hopeful. You seek hope. You see an opportunity, you run towards it. You run away from fear. That's how I've always felt about space exploration. 
I think it explains why there remains such a huge fascination in our culture with the whole Star Wars, Star Trek, and all of the other Marvel Comics things, all of these fantasy, but a lot of it space, a lot of it outside of us, a lot of it supernatural, a lot of it energetic forces that all are above and beyond and, and something we look to and just go, ah, oh, about. But it's, and of course, in, in the pure entertainment realm of Marvel Comics and all that stuff, which, which seems to be every other movie that comes out these days, that's one thing. That's the fantasy side. On the science reality side, though, and remember how it felt when we were in the space race back in the 60s, if you were around, I was, uh, watching us racing, finally getting to the moon, this whole sense of exploration, this in the middle of Vietnam. This was, this was the counterpoint to the insanity of the Vietnam War. You talk about America making bad choices. But even as we made this horrific choice that killed 55,000 of our kids and, and, and physically and mentally wounded millions more, we were still hoping. We were still seeking. We were still working towards hope through exploration. Exploration of space. And, and, and I realize it gets lost in so much of what is on air and every place else these days. But we're in the middle of another, the beginning even, of another major exploration. Something called the James Webb Telescope was launched just a few weeks ago. And, of course, everybody by now has heard of the Hubble telescope. Remember the problems that it had back in the 90s when it first went up? Uh, the primary mirror uh, was misground. They had to basically get corrective lenses. There were all these amazing shuttle missions that finally got this thing to work. And we have gotten nothing but the most amazing, not just the pictures of the universe, but the information that is being gleaned from the Hubble telescope has has expanded our knowledge of space and time and power and energy immeasurably over the decades since it basically became, well, the two and a half decades since it became fully operative. Almost, I guess, three, almost three decades. My goodness. Wow. We now have its true successor, the James Webb. And, and, and you have to understand that the Hubble telescope basically orbits our planet earth that that's why we were able to go up and 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 fix it the way we did we could send up a shuttle mission it just you just have to catch up at it wherever it was and and fix it and and there have been other missions up there over over the decades to keep it up to date not so with the james webb which is now in orbit around the sun. I mean, I mean, think about that. This, uh, this telescope that look, it, it looks like it's on a. Remember what a with a uh, with a uh, millennial a millennium cruiser looked like in the original uh, in the first Star Wars. I guess it would have been Star Wars four, but this rather triangular shaped thing 
which was really a, a huge troop carrier with something on top, some kind of a, uh, a, 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 a fixture that looked like it was catching, uh, I don't know, electrons or maybe it fired. So this is sort of what the Webb telescope, the James Webb, looks like. It's got 18 mirrors. They're all exposed. And they basically align together to produce imagery and to go further back in time. As you go back in space, you're going back in time. I'm not going to get into that right now. At a multiple of resolution and distance and time of the Hubble. It literally, this, this telescope will take us back visually to the first moments of the congealing, of the separation of the, of the fog of energy, or even pre-energy, if you want to call it that, that existed after the beginning of the expansion that began the Big Bang, the first time the fog began to clear and basically matter began to clump together and that matter first got together strongly enough to basically congeal into objects that ultimately lit up as stars, the very first stars, and then galaxies. This telescope can take us there and what it can tell us about the edge of our universe, what it means to be within the results of the great expansion that followed what we call the Big Bang, what the possibilities are for being part of other universes, where our initiation may have come from, what we share with whom and with what this multiverses are, are we are we more than one universe what is the true nature of of dark matter and dark energy this instrument this james webb telescope is going to bring us that much closer to seeing it and and if not seeing it basically picking up the energy of it in in non-visual uh, wavelengths but to a level that basically, if you can imagine this, will, if everything goes as predicted, will dwarf the achievements and it's certainly the capabilities, but presumably the achievements of the Hubble telescope. And those were amazing, as <laughs> anyone who's, who's ever received a, uh, uh, a NASA uh, calendar <laughs> you know, in the mail for Christmas or something. Uh, you know how that works out. There is a, there is a Nash, there's a NASA, um, I don't want to call it a newsreel, but NASA has a, a YouTube channel that puts out, I think on a weekly basis, maybe even a daily basis, they have a, they have a, a pretty good press relations office. You don't hear much these days. I mean, because it's just being all drowned out by the ugliness and the stupidity that unfortunately passes for, discourse too often in this country but they have a, a, a uh, they have some pretty good social media presence and, and I want you to listen to something that they put out uh, that involves uh, the James Webb telescope I happened to pick this up this morning just 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 listen in. it's just about a minute a few of the stories to tell you about this week at NASA 
The James Webb Space Telescope team is nearing completion of the first phase of the months-long process of aligning the observatory's primary mirror using the near-infrared camera or NIRCAM instrument. As planned, NIRCAM has detected the first photons of starlight that traveled through the observatory and has identified starlight from the same star in each of Webb's 18 primary mirror segments. The result is this mosaic image released on February 11th that appears to be random dots of starlight, but is actually light from the same star reflected by Webb's unaligned mirror segment. This simple image of blurry starlight now becomes the foundation to align and focus the telescope so that it can deliver unprecedented views of the universe this summer. Now, now think of what we were just saying a moment ago. To fix the Hubble, we had to go up and put this huge set of corrective lenses inside this gigantic it looked like a, imagine a silo almost, like a wheat silo, a small one in space that housed this, this Hubble telescope. This, this James Webb telescope is these 18 exposed, I think they're hexagonal or octet, no, hexagonal disks. And they're arranged in a circular pattern, 18 of them. And each one of them can be perfectly uh, aligned think of think of your your rear your side view mirrors on your car if you have a if you have a uh, electronic uh, uh, adjustment for them and you can perfectly align them and what what the what the uh, announcer just said was they've now all focused on one particular star the light from that star has hit each of those mirrors the telescope is staying focused on that star, and now there will begin the, the process of aligning every one of those 18 mirrors so that they all converge, so that the image of that star converges at a focal point that will then uh, be the final, that will create the final image. 18 separate, incredibly powerful images all being brought together. You, you couldn't go and do this with a, with, a, with a space shuttle mission. A, there's no space shuttle. B, this thing is traveling around the sun, and it can do this on its own. It doesn't need astronauts to go correct it. I, I just love the thought of how far we've come from those, those, those gut-wrenching moments in the early 90s when Hubble was blurry. Some incredible way, someone somehow in the process of basically polishing the main mirror, the main Hubble mirror, somehow got it wrong. They, they, they put in a wrong number in some computer or something, and the and the polishing that was being done, and it was being done over months and months to get this thing ground to the perfect consistency to bring light to a single point with this one huge mirror. And it, it was wrong, and they were able to fix it. That's another great thing. But here, 18 separate mirrors, and they're all going to adjust and come together and create a perfect image. If someone wants to see something like this, look at the Keck 
telescope. Go on and check out the Keck telescope. I think that's the one in Hawaii. There is a similar setup here where there are multiple, multiple um, uh, mirrors that all bring a single image into a single focal point. It'll make a lot more sense. You, you, if you see it, you'll be all the more amazed at how this works. And we're going to be revealing even more secrets of the universe. Because it, 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 it appears that as we explore and as we attempt to learn and as we, as we open ourselves to possibilities about ourselves that constantly transcend what we thought was the last limit of our knowledge, in the process of doing this, we elevate hope over fear. It's, it's the same spiritual muscles, it winds up, that we need to use to bring us out of a sense of hopelessness. We have to suppress fear, elevate hope, and in attempting to look beyond what we assumed were our furthest boundaries, it takes, it winds up, the same spiritual approach. No particular religion involved. There's no need for it. No, no narrative, no dicta, no theology. But it's suppressing the fear, ignorance, or the stepchildren of, of, of fear. Ignorance, arrogance, uh, aggression, uh, tribalization, willful stupidity, willful lying, racial prejudice. It's, it's, these are all stepchildren of fear. Suppress any one of those and the whole quantum of them begins to drop and we begin elevating love and hope. It's fear and love. And love and hope are inextricably intertwined. As we explore, we can't we can't basically retain prejudice and hatred. Uh, I, I guess it was uh, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. Travel is fatal to prejudice, ignorance, and small-mindedness. I'm, I'm paraphrasing poorly. I've said this on a recent show also. But that's the reality. And as you, as you knock out those avatars, those, well, I wouldn't call them avatars. They're, they're the stepchildren of fear. It's all linked to fear. Invariably, love and hope rises. Let's not forget that. In the light of all of our political discussions, in the light of, in the light of all of our right and wrong, and, and, and who did this, and America's butting its nose, and, and we need to have those conversations. This is the reality we live in. But let's not forget the things that we can almost automatically embraced together. Not, maybe not all of us even there, because fear does extend a long way. But we can embrace the hope of exploration and suppress the fear of being alone in the universe even. And imagine, ah, imagine how much more there is out there for us to learn and to become a part of of. Oh, what a hopeful thought. 
Think about it with a little jazz. You've been listening to Central F Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. There is a need to openly, ethically, morally discuss with perfectly footnoted concepts the things that are happening to us in the world, where America is, and how America reacts. I believe that Mr. Biden has done a stellar job of dealing with the Russians to this point. Others may disagree, but disagree in a decent sort of a way. We'll do that with a China show very shortly. Meanwhile, take hope.